to a focal point, the podcast where I and my friend Chris Pudney talk about some of the new cool tools of the internet and how you can make use of them in your life and in your business. If you'd like to find us on the web, we're at gihanperera.com forward slash podcast, C-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com forward slash podcast. Well, welcome Chris, how are you going? I'm well, thanks Gihan, how are you? I'm happy. Good to hear it. Well, we're going to talk about something today, which is actually we've been talking about for a while, but we haven't actually named it, and that's this whole idea of Web 2 or Web 2.0, and it's uh, it's probably the biggest change in the internet since the World Wide Web started in 1995 or so, 1993. Um, it's probably going to be the it's probably been the biggest change, and it's probably going to have the biggest impact. Would you agree with that? Yes, indeed, uh, I certainly would, um, and in fact. Uh we're part of it right now, aren't we? This podcast is something that's identified, podcasts are identified as um, Web 2.0 and previously we've spoken about things like blogging and uh, the Flickr website, all of these are, are elements of Web 2.0, so it, you could be participating in it without even knowing it. And, and, and you are, and I guess that's, that's one of the interesting things is that like, Chris, you and I have used the internet since, what, 1988? Yes, email and so on. Um, and the World Wide Web changed the face of the internet by adding a new technology. But Web 2.0 is not really a new technology, it's about the way that we use the existing technologies. That's right, it brings together, a, as you say, a whole lot of um, already existing technologies and, and uses them in a, a way that um, creates some really powerful tools on the internet. Yes, so let's get into defining Actually, I came across, there's a wonderful ebook or special report which is all about Web 2.0 and we'll make it available for people to download off our website okay. if they want to go and do that. It's from a wonderful website called Change This. But they've got some beautiful quotations about um, what people have said about Web 2.0. So, and let's talk about some of the negative ones first. Let me just read out a, a couple. Web 2.0 is made entirely of pretentious self-serving morons. Well, that's not true just because you and I are. <laughs> Exactly, it's not entirely. And here's another one. Web 2.0 is made of a robot made up of a very large hole. <laughs> right. Um, Web 2.0 is made of 600 million unwanted opinions in real time. There are a few good ones out there. That's right. So, with that as a background, what is Web 2.0, Chris? Well, uh, leaving that sort of stuff aside for the moment, it's... I think one of the problems that Web 2.0 has is that it's a fairly loosely defined and maybe even poorly named phenomenon. So um, it's a collection of technologies and not everyone agrees on what goes together to make them all up. And as we have already said, it, it's uh, a collection of technologies that already exist and that it's, it's really nothing new, it's just the way they've been combined together to uh, create this new Web 2.0 phenomenon. The, one of the key ones for me, the one that I think is one of the most powerful aspects of it, is this thing that's sometimes called the architecture of participation. Mm. What that really is all about is online communities where really it's the content that's contributed by the, the website's visitors that, uh, that, that defines that website, that makes people want to sign up in the first place and keep coming back and generate more content. So that's one of the, the key aspects for me. Um, what other ones are there? So, uh, well, let's, let's take an example of that. Like we know that we were talking about this just before we started this podcast of Wikipedia. Yeah. So Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia, which is now the world's largest 
reference work, the world's largest encyclopedia. But unlike, say, Encyclopedia Britannica, which is put together by the publishers and a whole bunch of experts who contribute to it, Wikipedia is put together by the online community. That's right. And that kind of puts paid to that previous um, criticism that you said, that it's a whole lot of unwanted uh, opinions. Mm. I mean, there's a vast collection of opinions on Wikipedia, many Many of them are inaccurate or, or, or false, but a great deal of them are. I think there was a, there was a study done to compare the accuracy of uh, uh, Wikipedia with Encyclopedia Britannica, and they were found to be um, equally accurate or equally inaccurate, if you like. Um, so, yeah, that, I mean, that really uh, addresses that criticism that there's unwanted stuff out That's there. That's right. And one of the things with that Wikipedia study was, I think they came out in Nature or one of those magazines, yeah. and they made the, I guess the point is that Nature found some inaccuracies and they were corrected in Wikipedia very quickly. Mm, Whereas right. in Britannica, it takes years for the next, or you know, some time for the next version to come out. That's right. Yeah. And you know, you told me last week about a, a mutual friend of ours, Chris, who suddenly found himself on Wikipedia. That's right. Yep, Gordon. Yeah. He was uh, someone, Gordon's a, a ma mathematician friend of ours. He, uh, uh, one of the things that he studied is Sudoku and um, has, has written for, I think, New Scientist and New York Times. And so someone had uh, written a profile of him on Wikipedia, um, sort of stating that he's a bit of a Sudoku guru. Which is this whole idea that, uh, as you said, that, uh, what do you call it, the architecture of participation, that's it, yep. where the website infrastructure is put up by somebody, but the content of the website is contributed by by the community. That's right. And there are just hundreds, I mean, YouTube, I'm running a workshop on YouTube next week in Sydney and the following week in Perth, and YouTube is another perfect example of that. This is, that's right. Where they've put the technology there for people to upload their own videos, but without people contributing to it, the website is nothing. Exactly, yeah. And uh, our last podcast, I think it was, was about Flickr, which is uh, exactly the same idea. They created the infrastructure for people to upload their images, digital images, and share them from the Flickr website. That's right. That's right. So this whole idea of community contribution is a very big part of it, isn't it? It is, yeah. And that leads into perhaps another aspect of, um, of the Web 2.0 phenomenon, and that's what's referred to as folksonomies, which is... Uh, sounds a bit like the word taxonomy, and that's mm -hmm. intentional because it's the process of tagging. So whereby, um, again, we're using the architecture of participation, where the members of the community tag the content of uh, the website. And so as well as having the content generated by the community, the ability to search that content uh, is facilitated by people tagging it, the, uh, the folksonomy the that they create. And I think that's a key thing in today's world, that there's so much information out there that your skill is not actually knowing the information because the information is available. Your skill is in, in, is in being able to access that information and searching for it. That's right, yes. And yeah. So this idea of tagging means that the people who are contributing the information decide what's important about it and that's actually proven or not proven by the fact that people search for it. Mm. Yep. And sometimes they might search for it only occasionally. So uh, that's the long tail effect that we mentioned with Flickr last week, isn't it? So there's this yeah. vast repository that's uh, generated by the community. They've tagged it appropriately, hopefully. And um, so, you know, a few people might, own, might search for fairly uh, exotic images, but um, 
they can still find it because of the community's efforts to uh, to create the content and then tag it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you know, I remember there's a there's a famous series of books now, but it started off as Chicken Soup for the Soul by Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, which are which are stories contributed by different authors, uh, or different contributors, and they published the book. And you know, it's been a phenomenal bestseller around the world, and there's been so many variations of it, like Chicken Soup for the Mother's Soul and so on, Chicken Soup for the Chicken Soul, and. You know, people talked about the idea that these guys were geniuses because they, they had these huge best-selling books of which they wrote none. Yes. And I guess that whole Web 2.0 phenomenon of that architecture of participation is very much like that. Yeah. The people who create a website like, well, let's take eBay, the world's biggest auction site, mm-hmm. and they provide the infrastructure, they provide the tools for people to do business online and to conduct auctions, and it's the people themselves to make it work. If there are no vendors on eBay, then there's no buyers going to it and vice versa. Yeah. And you've, you've worked on eBay, Chris, I think, both as a buyer and a seller, haven't you? That's right, I have, yep. I've, I've bought many CDs and uh, all kinds of things, shavers and uh, coffee machines and sold CDs as well. So, mm. yep. And you know, the stats are staggering. There are, there are, according to one report, there are half a million people who actually make a living on eBay. So not yes, just sell and buy and sell stuff, but actually make a living. It is. It is. It's, just, it's giving rise to new business models. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's for me. That's probably the most important feature of uh, the what's labelled Web 2.0. That that architecture of participation. Mm-hmm. But there are a couple of other features that uh, that supposedly define Web 2.0 as well, Kihan. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those is um, things like rich, rich interactive user interface. Things like the Ajax technology that you might have heard of. I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Tell me more about it. Okay, well, Ajax is an acronym, and it stands for Asynchronous JavaScript and XML. Mm-hmm. And it sort of breaks the way in which, not break is perhaps the wrong word, but it, it's a different way of interacting with a website from what we were used to when the web first came out, mm-hmm. where you were presented with a web page from the server, then you might have filled in a form and clicked a button or just clicked on a hyperlink and that sent a request back to the server and a new page was then returned to your browser. And it was that sort of request response, um, that synchronous request response process that uh, defined interaction with websites um, when the when the World Wide Web first started up. So in other words, if you, if you break it down into slow motion, it's like the web server sends you a page, yep. you look at it, you can fill in a form, but even while you're filling in the form, there's no interaction happening between you and the website. Right. It's all happening in your browser, and then you press a button, and then you wait, like, in web terms, you wait an eternity for it to go back to the server, and the server processes it, and then displays another page. So it's all very clunky. There's one page or one one interaction at a time. That's right, backwards and forwards yeah. between your browser and a remote server somewhere. So what does Ajax do? So what Ajax does is it, rather than um, doing that synchronously, as, as the name suggests, Ajax is asynchronous, whereby it uses a browser technology called JavaScript to enable communication with the web server via XML, that's where the X comes, sending little requests as you do things in your browser. JavaScript sends little messages to the server and it responds uh, with an update to the page or a part of the page rather than sending you a whole new page. Mm. So 
what's an example? I'm, I'm thinking of something like if you choose a country. I've seen forms where I feel I'm going to buy something online, and uh, I've done this myself with where I've programmed online e-commerce forms where you choose a country mm -hmm. and then you have to submit the form and then it comes back with a list of states to choose from, say within Australia. Right. But I think what you're saying is with Ajax, you pick the country and automatically elsewhere on the page the drop-down list of states changes depending on the country you chose. That's right. I'm not sure whether that's necessarily Ajax, Kihan. It doesn't have to be, does it? Yeah, it might already have the list of states somewhere in the JavaScript program yeah. that does that. So I think that's more the HTML perhaps. Okay. But uh, perhaps the most um, iconic example of an Ajax website would be Google Maps, whereby um, you zoom and pan around a map of some locality, and as you're doing that pan and zoom, requests are being sent back to uh, the Google website to send you new images of the the terrain that you've panned over or you've zoomed into, and XML is, is the uh, the communication tool used uh, used by by that Ajax technology. Right. So what you're saying is, when you click to zoom into a place, it doesn't send the whole, it doesn't require Google Maps to send the whole page back to you. That's right. It's just okay. New images of, yeah. the, of the zoomed in area. So what's the significance of that for Web 2.0? Well, that's that's. I'm not sure because, the, for example, um, the Google Maps website doesn't involve any um, community partic participation, does it? Mm -hmm. It's not uh, like nothing like Flickr. It's it's a whole different branch of the Web 2.0 phenomenon for me. So that's why I kind of wanted to focus on that one because they, it's quite a different kind of website from from the uh, the social social computing. Yeah, but, but at the same time, I think there's an important point that to be made, which is with with most websites in the past, because they haven't had these huge communities attached to them, it's actually been okay to have the clunky, synchronous communication back and forth, right. because they just haven't had that much traffic. Yeah. I mean, even the very heavily visited websites who do have to have lots and lots of service to manage the traffic, they are now nothing compared to what you require when you've got community-based websites where yeah. people are creating content as well as just reading it. Yeah. So uh, that Ajax technology would certainly help in that respect. That's right. Yep. Smaller, smaller requests. Yeah, absolutely. And the other, the other interesting thing is blogging. Yeah. I mean, blogging I mean, for people who've never done blogging or know what a blog is. I mean, a blog is just a website, really, isn't it? Mm. Well, before we go on, we can refer <laughs> listeners to our. I think it was our first podcast, wasn't it? Which was all about blogging. The first podcast was about blogging, and in fact, this podcast, the Focal Point po podcast, every time we publish an issue of the podcast, we also put it up on the blog. That's right. Yeah, so again, people go to the website, com forward slash podcast, you can link through to the blog as well. But the interesting thing is blogging is just a website, and yet blogging has become a phenomenon, and you think, well, why? It's, it was just a website. And I know we had a whole podcast about this, but do you want to just briefly say why why you think that's become the case, Chris? Why? It, it's taken off. Mm. I guess it again comes down to this the ease of use of the tool, isn't it? That's right, yeah. It's, it's so easy to do, and it's much easier, perhaps, than having to set up a, a mail server where you've got a mailing list and people need to you need to manage people's subscriptions and so forth. Mm. Um, and it sort of has a different life cycle as well, doesn't it? Because your posts to your blog, they're, they're there forever, so it can be a, a resource that, um, that goes beyond each individual posting. That's right, that's right. And I think the thing is that like you and I could easily duplicate 
long software ourselves, but we've got computer science degrees, and most people don't. And I think that's one of the things that has given rise to Web 2.0 spreading so fast, is that people can now do things that previously were only available to highly technically skilled people, like creating websites and putting photos on the internet, creating photo albums, creating online videos. All of that was doable, but not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was going to going to ask about the or talk about the idea of mashups then where where you can sort of do that sort of thing, take bits and pieces from existing um existing web applications. Yeah, great. Yeah, talk a bit more about that. And put them together and have a whole new thing. Yeah. So uh, we sort of a, a basic kind of mashup would be something like having a blog on your website or including videos from YouTube and that sort of thing. That's really, that's perhaps not, technically speaking, a, a real mashup. Mm -hmm. But as you say, you don't need a computer science degree to be able to bolt these kind of technologies onto your own website. You can just go to Blogspot and start up a blog, go to YouTube, upload some videos and then, and then incorporate them into your website or other people's videos for that matter as well. But then there are there are more um, more um, what's the word um, more complex or sophisticated yeah, more complex, examples that do yeah. require a bit of um, of programming skill whereby yeah. you take advantage of something like Google Maps. I've seen like real estate websites do this, whereby they use Google Maps to provide you with a map of the region they, where their listings are, yeah. and then they place some icons onto it, and then you see uh, you can click on each of those and see the listing that relates to it so you can see where it is and you can then drill down and have a look at the actual listing itself. So so that's it. Yeah, it's sort of being able to leverage these um, these uh, existing Web 2.0 technologies and, and make use of them on your own website if you want mm. to. I think the interesting thing about that is that Google Google actually encourages people to do that. They give you the tools to add those little icons onto the map, don't they? That's right, they do. I think that's one of the other mindset shifts that's happened is that people used to be very protective of their content on the web mm. and Google and YouTube, like every time you upload a video on YouTube, YouTube makes it very easy for you to email that video, for other people to email the video to somebody, offer them to copy that video, put it on their website and so this whole idea of content being not free but easy to share is another thing that's really helping Web 2.0 grow. That's right. It's, it's it frees it up and allow and so you know you see the you see YouTube clips and you see Flickr images not just on Flickr.com and not just on YouTube.com mm. but wherever wherever people have decided to incorporate them. That's right. I guess the old the the 20th century version of that, which I've been um, pushing for a long time, is the idea that if you write articles, which are just plain text, and you stick them on your website, give people permission to copy them. Yeah. And the the secret is to make sure that part of their terms of copying it is to include a little bit of a blurb about you and a link back to your website. Yeah. And this is doing exactly the same thing, but in a different multimedia. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, uh, again, something that uh, defines Web 2.0 is the facilitation of that process. So things like APIs, if you are a developer, uh, having uh, like the Google API to, to uh, take advantage of their search engine or the eBay API, so you can include eBay listings on your own website mm -hmm. if you've got uh, 
a website that sells and buys things. That's right. So APIs are application programming interfaces, right, which yeah. are basically things that you, if you're if you're in business and you don't really know what that means, you talk to your web developers about that to take advantage of. It basically means that you can hook into big websites like Google and eBay and YouTube and Flickr and so on without, um, you know, very easily. They, they actually encourage it rather than discouraging it. That's right. And for, for the reasons we've just gone over, it just uh, they get a lot of leverage from doing that, don't they? Absolutely. And I think that's a thing that, you know, we, we should talk about it from both sides of the, from both sides of that fence, Chris, that if you've got a website, you can take advantage of some of these facilities by bringing those sort of things into your website. Mm -hmm. But I think you can also think about the mindset of making your information freely available, yeah. but in a way that so in a way that other people can share and copy, but in a way that brings you business as well. Yeah, yep, that's great. You know what? We're almost running out of time. All oh, right, as okay. usual. Yes. So, I, I mean, we set out for this to be a big picture overview of Web 2.0, and we haven't really got into any specifics of how to use that. But I guess we come back to the point that a lot of the things that we've been talking about or in previous issues of this podcast have been exactly about Web 2.0 technologies, haven't they? That's right. Blogging, Flickr, you name it, yep. Yeah. So, I guess our message for you is keep listening. That's right. <laughs> More to come. There is. If you haven't heard the uh, the back issues, go and listen to them as well. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about podcasting. As you said about blogging, it's archived there forever, and yeah. the same with our podcasts. Yeah. You can either listen by subscribing to the podcast, so we can download the audio files to your computer, or of course you can go to the blog and just listen to the, the past issues directly on the web. Yeah, that's right. So all those listeners in 2010, welcome. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And there we go, what is this old technology they're talking about? I want to hear about Web 3.0. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so any last thoughts, Chris, before we finish up? Yeah, I think that, that, that philosophy of, um, of um, making things available, making your content available, is something that uh, has given rise to the the uh, the takeoff of Web 2.0. So that's a philosophy that you can take home to your own activity, and also to get out there and have a go at some of these Web 2.0 uh, websites. Participate in some of those communities, see how they work, and um, see if you can't do something like that yourself. Mm. And, and I think that the point that you made very early on about participation is the key. It's not really something that you can outsource in the same way that you could outsource building a website yeah. five years ago to somebody. This is really about participating. Yeah. And it's about your intelligence and your ideas and your insights being spread to the world. Yeah. And that's what people value. Great. Excellent. So again, the website, if you'd like to listen to the old versions of issues of this podcast or um, read what's on the blog, is gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. So G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com forward slash podcast. And again, if you'd like an overview of Web 2.0, particularly from a business perspective, not a technical perspective, but how you can use it for your business, we'll make available that Change This Manifesto, which talks about what Web 2.0 is and how you can use it in your business. So, Chris, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Suki. It'll be wonderful to speak again in a couple of weeks' time. Will do. Bye for now. Bye-bye.